0: Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 75, the one about Twitter hashtags, customer journey mapping, old school SEO tools, and Top Gun Maverick. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Monsieur
1: Pascal Fintoni. Thank you so much for the introduction. And as always, the highlight of my week to spend some time with the man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple. The voice of the Marketing and Funnest podcast and the host of the Rock, Rock video series, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, fantastic, Pascal. And this is episode 75.
0: Episode 75, we're three quarters of the way (laughs) towards our century of episodes of Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast. And you know what? We wouldn't have stuck at this if we hadn't continually received great feedback and encouragement from everybody out there who listens to the show, everybody out there who watches the show and is kind enough to give us comments and likes and just Encouragement. Don't forget, we've recently installed a speaker pipe. Is it called speaker pipe or speak pipe? Speak Speak pipe. pipe. Speak pipe. So you can leave us messages now, just by going to the two geeks and the marketing podcast website you can ask us questions you can suggest films that we might review the marketing campaigns for or you might suggest the tech that we look at in our marketing tech and app section today we are going to be talking about another film which has been long delayed by production um, hiccups and the pandemic pascal what are we going to be talking about later in
1: film marketing We are talking about Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to the 1986 classic Top Gun.
0: Oh, my God goodness i mean top gun is just the original is one of the all-time classics isn't it and a lot of us who are fans of that film are absolutely waiting to see what tom cruise has got in this updated version but as always pascal we've got a few sections of the show to get through before we get to film marketing so should we start as we always do with
1: in the news And we begin with the news that consumers are seeking to decrease the amount of time spent on social media via smartphones, leading to a nearly 20% increase in searches in the US for so-called dumb phones. Spotify recently announced that it would transition live audio
0: content from its Green app to its flagship audio listening app and rebrand
1: the Clubhouse clone as Spotify Live. According to Marketing Week, Netflix CEO Reed Hastings said that the streaming giant is quite open to offering a lower cost ad supporting service after losing 200,000 subscribers in three months.
0: Mobile exclusivity is a growing trend in the fast food industry from Wendy's to Taco Bell and McDonald's, all offering
1: mobile only products, loyalty programs and freebies. 64% of marketers say social media is the most effective paid channel, with TikTok and Instagram claiming the majority of spend, according to data from Nielsen's annual marketing report.
0: Based on a study drawing a link between playing video games and the metaverse, 52% of Gen Z gamers reported that they would like to make money in the
1: metaverse, and one third wish to build a career there. Well, The Guardian reported that users of self-driving cars will be able to watch films on the motorway under planned changes to the highway code, although it will remain illegal to use mobile phones.
0: You can now use the search phrase air pollution near me on Google to find locally relevant air quality conditions in US cities. The feature was first rolled out in India last November with more countries to be included soon. Now Pascal, you're not a Netflix subscriber, are you? I am not. Now I've got Amazon Prime and Disney Plus. What do you think about this issue that Netflix have hemorrhaged, as some of the headlines have said, 200,000 subscribers since the beginning of the year. Now, I can understand that because they gained one hell of a lot of subscribers during the pandemic. To me, it's sort of natural that as things get back to normal and people aren't indoors as much, that people might reassess how
1: much they're prepared to spend. I've got two reactions to that. Number one, it takes me back to literally, I'm in this, episode number one of Two Kicks Martin podcast, (laughs) where you and I were a little critical of the lackluster launch of Disney Plus in the UK. There was Mm -hmm. absolutely no marketing to speak of. There was no sense of event and celebration. I'm going to argue that if we think about Amazon Prime and thinking about Disney Plus and Netflix... They are not doing enough to look after their subscribers. You know, mm-hmm. we are taken for granted, which I know sounds very, very harsh. But I don't get any communication from Disney Plus or Amazon Prime to make me feel valued. Um, I stumble upon new releases by accident. You know, there's no efforts really for them to, to keep me in track. They don't seem to understand my preferences and so on. And more to the point, with the data that they've got and with the, um, forgive me, the brain power they have at Netflix, they could have predicted this and in, in kind of um, adjust their marketing, sorry, accordingly. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Netflix are
0: quite engaging, I have to say. One okay. of, you know, almost to the point of annoyance to a certain extent. I mean, you might start watching the episode of a series, and for whatever reason, you'll get halfway through the episode, maybe go to bed something else happens and maybe a couple of days later they email you and said are you going to watch the end of that episode and sometimes you think oh I'd forgotten about that but then other times you think oh leave me alone stop it so maybe there's a there's a a little bit of balance to to strike there but yeah I would agree with you I can't think of the last time I got communications from the other streaming services that I'm a member of but what do you think of the idea of offering a lower cost solution for people who subscribe to Netflix, which obviously will be cheaper, but you would have to have adverts, I guess, interrupting your
1: viewing. I can't even contemplate it, Roger. <laughs> I mean, the um, you know we know it's like to watch channels like uh, well ITV Channel Four in in the UK. Our international listeners and viewers will have their own version, and they are part of I suppose the experience. But I'm paying to watch something on Amazon Prime or Disney Plus. We had an attempt with um, my wife Denise to watch. A subset of um, Amazon Prime called IMDb TV. It was actually mm. season two of Alex Rider um, because we thought season one was fantastic, and there were so many adverts. It was even more frequent than it was almost like watching YouTube. You know, there, there was every ten minutes there was there was there was adverts, and they were also very pixelated. There was obviously some issues with the uh, the streaming, and we didn't get past the first episode of Alex Rider, so I just couldn't do it.
0: No, I'm the same. I mean, I... If I watch anything on a ter- on a channel which has adverts, we will always watch it later than its actual broadcast time so that we can zip through the adverts on fast forward. Um, and that is just one of the things about Netflix, which I love, is the fact that you don't get interrupted. And you don't even get interrupted by the fact you then have to f- fast forward through it for whatever it takes, 10 seconds or not. It's a complete uninterrupted experience. So i i suspect that they they may do this but the real the real reason they've lost subscribers isn't because they're turning out worse content i mean a few people have said that there's been a few bombs in terms of programs and films but there's a few bombs in terms of programs and films wherever you go i think this is just post-pandemic people are reassessing what they're spending their money on they're not spent they're not indoors as much and we've got a we've got a spending crisis in the uk at the moment mm. people are, are, are trying to save a bit of money now i'm also interested in your views pascal on the fact that 64 percent of marketers say social media is the most effective paid channel and tiktok and instagram are now uh pretty much up there i wonder whether this is actually the case or it's just marketers saying what they want to want to hear themselves and i know that these channels are are useful and tiktoks particularly is you know at the top of the tree but is it really the most effective paid channel i know that people denigrate tv advertising but i reckon that's probably still the number one
1: I've compared different reports from different sources, and they all seem to concur. Now, that figure from 64 can go down to 57, it can go up to 70-odd. But in terms of conversion, but also in terms of the minimal amount of money spent on social media and the return you get, it is really a very attractive proposition for small, to medium-sized enterprises, which also gives you that kind of um, fairness, because to be able to afford TV or even radio advertising, you need to have a substantial budget. The challenge with those reports, I find, is that they either take a very global view. So in fact, if you are operating in some, some part of the Far East or Europe or America, you may not actually get a very good set of data or they are very US-centric. You know? So for me, it's more about indication than truth.
0: Mm. And maybe, maybe it's it's the most cost effective paid channel mm. because i think that's a really important point that you make isn't it you know i've said this many many times you know digital marketing for for all it's good and for all it's bad has made marketing communications more accessible to more companies at lower cost than any time in history and that is absolutely the fact and you're absolutely right there's a lot of small businesses out there that couldn't begin to afford TV advertising. Um, so yes, I, I I accept that social is probably the most most cost-effective. I think the jury's still out as to mm-hmm. whether it is the, actually the most effective at actually creating a call to action. But, you know, um, as always, we're uh, willing to be challenged on these things. So if you've got a different view, Get on to speak, Pipe, and leave us a message. It'd be really interesting to to hear what you've got to say. The last one, Pascal, I was... I was drawn to, and apologies, but it's the Metaverse one. And And uh, as you would expect, I, I, I just had this idea. Now, it's a pity that April Fool's Day has gone by. I just thought it, I should have put a tweet up on April Fool's Day, something like EasyJet has just announced that it is launching flights direct from London Stansted to <laughs> the Metaverse. Because... You read this and it says people want to make money in the metaverse and it's almost like i'm packing my bags and i'm going to the metaverse people it's not a real place it's not a real place um th- this is this is there's so much hype flying around about uh, metaverse at the moment and Boy, is there also a lot of techno-bubble, gobbledygook management speak and jargon flying around about the metaverse as well. Um, I I could probably write an article just on the language that people are using to bamboozle everybody about what it's about. But I did see uh, a a shout-out from a, a... somebody I've, I've I've spoken to, uh, spoken about on the show before, Theo Priestley, who's a bit of an online expert. And, and he wrote an article recently that said, do you know what, Let, let's try to forget the fact that um, Zuckerberg wants us all to wear these stupid great big goggles um, to immerse ourselves in this imaginary universe. He says the vast, vast, vast majority of people are still going to go in by browser, just like they would be if they were playing Fortnite or something like that, and I think we've just got to get into perspective. It's yes, it's different. It's Web three, and it's more like an imaginary world. But let's not get carried away that it is an actual place that you can pack up your bags and go and live in.
1: I think it's part the language, isn't it? For, for me, uh, as much as you had some doubt about their veracity, what we mentioned about um, paid channel this one is a nonsensical survey. I mean, you're asking people who enjoy playing video games whether they'd like to do more of that and earn a living out of doing this. And and I think for me, this is where on occasion as marketers, we have got to be critical of the data and the information. It's a bit like asking someone who, enjoys playing music, which like actually make money to play music. Well, they're not going to say no to that and so on and so forth. But I think what they are suggesting is that there is a, um, a group of individuals I don't think it's age relevant, so I don't believe and buy into the Gen Z and X and Y and uh, boomers or whatever. It's back to your attitude to life and work. If you are playing video games, particularly interactive um, video games, then the metaverse is going to be less foreign to you as a territory. Essentially, you're going to go online you're gonna go through with an avatar and you're gonna visit a land, you know, which is obviously all virtual, have interaction with brands. And yes, if that's what you do, would it be nice to have a job helping somebody build their brand on the metaverse? But what I mean to say, Roger, is that I don't need a market research company to give me essentially pretty obvious statements. Absolutely right.
0: So I will, I will, I will stop myself there. I will not go off on another metaverse rant. I mean, actually, there are some really interesting people making a lot of interesting um, comments at the moment about all of these things. But I really do think that one of the biggest challenges that people working on Web three have is they really need to move on from this techno babble that they're using because it genuinely is the worst jargon and techno babble and just gobbledygook that I've ever heard in my entire marketing career. Pascal, let's move on now, and we are going to shine a spotlight on some content. Let's move on to the content spotlights. Well, in this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be an article, it could be a video, it could be a podcast, and we go into it in somewhat of a little bit of detail. So Pascal, what have you got for us this week?
1: Oh, I'm very, very pleased about this little discovery. This is a long form article entitled How to Win Potential Consumers with Customer Journey Mapping on Google. This is written by Christopher Hoffman-Lowson who is a Danish SEO consultant, is a lead consultant for Impact Extend based in Denmark. And it has been a delight to read this article, but also then to share with you, of and listeners, because at long last, I've come across somebody, there are many out there, we must confess, but that is talking sense when it comes to, as you know, my first passion when it comes to digital, which is SEO. Um, Christopher has a bit of a mantra when it comes to SEO, which is about when you challenge the status quo, and get results is his favorite thing when it comes to search engine optimization. Now, this article is all about, Christopher suggesting, that whenever you want to build a campaign, when you want to craft, essentially, an experience using the search engine results, it is time for all of us to leave our spreadsheets behind for a moment and start using the customer journey mapping method to provide them, which are your customers, with the best content possible. Now, this is a long-form article. You could argue it's almost like like an essay, but this is really worth your time, all of you. So uh, kind of segment one, if you will, is what is a customer journey? We're going to come back to that. Next, what is customer journey mapping on Google? why you should use customer journey mapping on Google, three examples, how to build a customer journey map using Google data, and we have a case study, how a Danish insurance firm won prospects with customer journey mapping, and as Google writers should do, there's a conclusion, and there is a summary statement at the end. Now, the reason why this is exciting for me to share this with you, because the timing could not be better. Only a few days ago, I was in a situation where I was, observing a a meeting with a client where they wanted to put together their social media campaign. And literally the moment my client expressed the desire to have a social media campaign, the team rushed into coming up with ideas for tweets and coming up with ideas for Facebook posts and Instagram and so on, and which is kind of mad scrambling of, of ideas and so on. And I had to be almost like the party pooper to say, well, stop, 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 this is all lovely but this is not a strategy. We need to understand you know, a, the goals. You know, your team leader does not have the chance to express what this is all about, but also we need to put the customer first and understand that there is a journey of discovery for content. And I think what Christopher is doing therefore with this article is just reminding people that it is absolutely correct that we should be using the tools of the time, but there are some tried and tested methods help you come up with better answers that you should rely on and we should not be so quick to be dismissive of something that has been used by marketers and professionals for decades. If I take you back to the first statement or question, what is a customer journey? For Christopher, it is really where you start to be supported as the the inventor and the architect of this campaign by using models. And there are many, and it's chosen for the case purpose of this Um, work, the IEDA model, and his added loyalty at the end. So as a reminder, we have awareness, interest, desire, action, and loyalty for him. And by using this customer journey, and by taking your time across each stage, you will come up with different content ideas for the different stages of the customer's understanding, and importantly, trust. And his argument is that we, and as a global, we, we spend too much time on the interest and desire element, and we don't spend enough time on awareness, action even, I would argue, and no time on loyalty. And one of the um, kind of a segment when it talks about particularly why you should do it is because too often people forget the early stage of the funnel, and they also forget the post or after-sales care and there's an enormous amount of of data from Google that would invite you to create content for all the different stages. So very very quickly in summary because I want people to thoroughly enjoy reading this article particularly the case study there's tons of photos where he's using post which is my favorite method as well. His point of view is rushing in terms of SEO to come up with keywords or social media rushing to come up with tweets is outdated. We need to focus on owning all the stages of the customer journey. I mean, Pascal,
0: this is, again, <laughs> it comes back to the absolute basics that we've been talking about on the show for so long, that today, far too many marketing people dive straight into the communications. And and that, that story you've just told there highlights that perfectly. Those people were straight into the tweets. They were straight into those little messages that they could spread on social media. Before you do any of that, you've you know, even before you talk about customer journeys, you've got to think about who the actual customer is. You can't put a customer journey together unless you've defined the actual customer. And, and, the, and all the usual things that I'm, I say about making sure you have an offer and goals to go with it before you that get into that stage of act, putting pen to paper or typing words on screens or whatever to communicate. And any article whether it's about customer journey, or whether it's about marketing strategy, that, com- that reinforces that to people, in my mind has got to be a must read. And I've got a little bit of a confession to make for you, Pascal. When I started doing the research for my content spotlight this week, I spotted this article and I thought, oh, I think I might do that one. And then of course, I came to the uh, to the page and I saw that you had already bagged it. So wow. well done on that! Well, well done on that. But think I think uh-
1: <laughs> that means that Christopher, you know, is doing an amazing job for his visibility because you and I both spotted it. Uh, I'm interested. Where did you sit? Because I saw it through my Flipboard content curation tool. How did you come across this article?
0: It was Flipboard as well. <laughs> it was Flipboard as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, F- Flipboard is one of my favourite. Um, go-to platforms for and and like you I've got different um, little books set up and different hashtags that I follow and this this one appeared in quite a few it was in marketing it was in marketing strategy Uh, I think it might even have been in in, um, PR as well Mm. so yeah highly visible highly visible
1: and for me, it's back to for everyone read the article because, and you could remove the term SEO with social media, email marketing, um, advertising. Any form of campaign, and I like to use the term campaign as opposed to occasional tweets, needs to be supported. And your thinking and creativity would be supported by using that customer journey mapping, Uh, AIDA plus loyalty for Christopher. As you know, for my kind of services I've invented or kind of tidied up the McKinsey customer journey using visibility, credibility, and interactivity. We all have one, it doesn't matter, but it's there for a reason. And also, can we just be spending a bit more time discussing it pen and paper as opposed to rushing to completing spreadsheets. Absolutely fantastic Pascal. So this week I'm going to be talking
0: about Twitter. I came across an article um, it's in Boss Magazine which is an online um, magazine as you would expect and the headline best ways to use hashtags for great results on Twitter. Now it's actually just by what they call Boss Magazine Editorial. So unfortunately, I can't name drop a particular individual. But as has been the case with quite a lot of the content spotlights I've done recently, this is another really quite short article, but it's got some really, really good things in it to give you ideas as to how you might boost your engagement. Now, what it does first of all is reminds us that Twitter actually invented the hashtag um, I'd probably forgotten that because we've become so used to doing hashtag research for all sorts of social media platforms. I mean, you can use hashtags on Instagram, on LinkedIn, you can use them on TikTok, but Twitter—they started it all off. That they were the birthplace of the uh, of the hashtag, and, and you know, it's only been just just over ten years, so it's it's remarkable. So, what? He's do what what um, what Boss Magazine editorial. I'm gonna, I'm just going to call him Boss. We'll call him Boss. as giving is giving us f- one two three four five six quick snippet ideas as to how you can use hashtags on Twitter to boost your engagement. Now, number one might sound like the bleeding obvious, but it's learn from the best. Now, there are quite a lot of people out there, and he does use the word influencers, but in fairness, there are some people out there who know what they're doing. And if you want to learn about some of the best hashtags to be using in your particular industry, in your particular niche or niche, whatever you want to call it, then go and look at people who are doing it well and see what their hashtag strategy is. And what you might find is that they're not using the obvious ones. So like us, Pascal, if if you're in the marketing industry, if you're a marketing consultant or a marketing trainer, using the hashtag marketing or marketing communications is probably so broad that it's not really going to appeal to anybody. It's not going to stand out from the millions of other people using those particular hashtags. So you might have to Be quite clever and and find something which is a little bit more specialised to what you're doing. The second one is to join a weekly challenge or join one of those um, Twitter chats. Now, I have to say I've not been on a Twitter chat for quite a long time, but again, they make fabulous use of hashtags. And there's one that goes live every Wednesday. It's called Twitter Smarter. And they use that hashtag. And believe me, if you join in with that, and I've done it a few times, you will gain followers, you will gain conversations, you will make contacts. contacts. Just yesterday, uh, I was um, hosting a live event in the financial services industry called ProtectX. And we use the hashtag ProtectX 2022. Um, Now, that hashtag always trends on Twitter on the morning that we do those events and just by using that hashtag if you put that into your search you're gonna get loads and loads of tweets and be able to come involved in people who are talking about that so have a look for event hashtags have a look for weekly challenge hashtags things like that great way to do it Another idea that Boss comes up with is to build brand awareness with branded hashtags. Now, I was was sort of aware of this, but this is where you actually can use Twitter ads if that's part of your marketing um, strategy. And if you create a hashtag for yourself, so I could create a hashtag marketing made simple or cut the the gobbledygook or something like that, If you can then associate that hashtag with an emoji and that emoji will automatically appear and you've probably seen it they do it with films and tv programs if you if you type in doctor who it comes up with a little police box at the end if you type in masterchef uk it usually comes up with a little um, plate or something like that so again This is where you actually create a hashtag of your own. Now, that's harder because you're going to have to promote it. You're going to have to build its credibility. But it's it's well worth having a look at if your budget will extend to it. Number four, give your audience a reason to use your hashtag. Uh, And again, this is, it could be a giveaway. It could be a quiz. It could be a raffle. It could be to encourage people to create user-generated content. We talked about in film marketing, didn't we, uh, last week or the week before, where they wanted people to post pictures of themselves and then use the film's hashtag. So give people a reason to use it. And that reason could just be asking people to post a photograph related to what it is that you're doing. Obviously, number five, there are lots of third-party tools out there that you can use to to find the hashtags that are trending, to find the hashtags that are so popular you should never use them. Maybe find the more niche ones, and we've reviewed a few of those hashtag apps here on Two Geeks in the Marketing P- uh, Podcast. But it's a constantly shifting um, area, so always well. Worth going in and having a look. And finally, and probably the most important one, number six, avoid hashtag overuse. Now, obviously, we're talking about Twitter here. I know it's par for the course that if you're on Instagram, you can put upwards of 30 hashtags into a post. And that's ge- genuinely deemed to be acceptable activity on Instagram. For Twitter, though, and probably LinkedIn as well, you're not really going to want to put more than maybe two or three hashtags in a tweet. Otherwise it starts to look a little bit cluttered. It starts to look a little bit too messy. So there you go, Pascal. A nice little reminder that Twitter started this whole hashtag thing off. And six really simple, but sometimes thought-provoking ideas
1: as how you can use hashtags to boost your Twitter engagement. I like it a lot. I like all six. And you're absolutely right. And well, it's interesting for me as well. There's not one meeting or one training session without someone asking me, what is a hashtag? And I would argue that this is one of the many examples where the language is off. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, has, it makes no sense. Uh, I mean, you and I know, and because we, we, we have the history as well of hashtag being used by developers and for messaging each other in the 70s and 80s. But for someone who... Where digital marketing is not their day to day, why well, the strange term to begin with? And then you've got to uh, wrestle with that, understand how how to use it, and so I tend to explain it as uh, almost like a sticky label or a highlighter, where you make things easier to find. And mm. I totally agree with you. I usually say, you know, have three: one for you, one for the audience, and one for the subject matter. And one is for oh, you. One like is for you. It's this idea of actually. If you um, want to do some content repurposing, it's always easier to have, as you mentioned, a hashtag which is branded because then you can just search for that in the Twitter search box and you can rediscover all your content from you know, the last months or so and you can repurpose it. So just as an example, a, a good friend of the show Richard Tubb, has launched a new weekly series and he's used a hashtag as you may have seen Tu Observatory using a surname Tub, TUB <laughs> and Observatory. So a portmanteau, if I'm not mistaken, that's what they call it. <laughs> and that makes it so much easier for the team to go once a month, hashtag to observatory, and they can repurpose the weekly tweets into a monthly roundup on the website. And you can see how that works. So, do you know, I think it's interesting about the two selections this week is about, sometime we can be attracted to try new things. And so we should, you know, as part of our R&D. But ultimately, here we are. This very sensible advice by using hashtags or building an SEO campaign using customer mapping should be at the heart of your weekly activities as opposed to running around looking for the next silver bullet.
0: Absolutely right, Pascal. Absolutely right. So some great content once again. Thank you for discovering the same article that I was after. (laughs) And thank you for your comments on hashtags. Pascal, shall we slow things down a little bit now? and get a little bit more techy, moving on to marketing, tech, and apps. Okay, Pascal, what technical wonders have you found for us this
1: week? So listen, based on the article I reviewed a moment ago, I've gone back old school with SEO tools. Ah. Now... I'm going to mention a couple of options, but before we do so, I'm going to almost build on Christopher's advice about, you know, it's already there for you. Just use it. So for all of you, if you have a website, go back to Google Search Console and Analytics. You will find there suggestions by the kind of content you should be using don't forget to also use things like the bing webmaster keyword research tool just google it don't forget to use yahoo suggest and google instant it's all there already to pretty much you know give you most of the answers so it's at your fingertips but the two options which are all schoolers and they've been around for a very long time but sometimes they can be overlooked the first one is uber suggest you may remember it started a long long time ago offered by neilpatel.com, and this is really a free service where you can find not just the short keywords, Roger, but what it's called the long tail or long phrases. So if you go back to Christopher's article about the awareness, interest, desire, action, and loyalty, there's going to be a whole range of searches for the particularly the before and after sales scare, and Uber suggests can give you lots of nudge in the right direction, and then, of course, good judgment and common sense will prevail. The next one, no surprise, is the Moz free tools, and that toolkit is growing all the time. I've put the hyperlink in the show notes, so from link building, checkers, to analyzing competition, to keyword research and content suggestions and so on, it's all there for you. It's a lovely little dashboard that they've created, not to mention, of course, the the free guides. So I remain Roger, a big, big fan of SEO when done well. As you know, I tend to be very critical of what is happening out there in the industry because I think people have been misled on occasion with very, very bad advice, but ultimately, what we're trying to do here is build a presence and a reputation using the results of the search engines. And people are searching for different things, for different reasons at different times. And it is for you, the communicators and the business owners, to be present at all different stages. So my argument would be, use what you've got already. And if you need some supplementary suggestions and nudge in the right direction, then Uber suggests all the Moz free tools are gonna be your little virtual assistants. Oh
0: pascal thank you so much for nudging us away from some of the black arts of seo you know we, we really do need to keep it simple and sadly there are still a lot of seo gurus out there and i use gurus in inverted commas as always who pedal some really quite undesirable practices even to this day mm. and you're absolutely right it, it's it can be easy to do if you know where to look so this week pascal I'm going to be talking about travel for the third week in a row. And this is probably the last of what has now become a trilogy of travel, (laughs) marketing, tech and apps. Um, Again, you know, we're we're starting to to travel a little bit more. I've got a few things coming up, which uh, I'm going to probably have to go down to London. And I revisited an app which i really enjoyed a few years back in fact i think i did review it very early on in the early days of two geeks in the marketing podcast and it's called hotel tonight now the reason i've chosen is that they've changed their approach and i, I really quite like this because it it sort of sees it shows how something that has to mature and maybe has to move on what originally drew me to hotel tonight was that not only were they offering incredibly low prices for hotel rooms in cities across the world but the way that they did it was really quite interesting and nifty what they would do is they would show you photographs of the hotel bedrooms and the hotel um, lobby and the bar and the restaurant and all of that sort of thing and they would give you the knockdown price, and it's all last minute as well, um, because what they're doing is they're, they're working with hotels that have got spare capacity right up to the last minute. But they wouldn't tell you which the actual hotel was until you'd actually booked it. So there was a little bit of a risk involved there, but what people did, and I think what I said in my original review way back, was that if you actually copied and pasted part of their description into Google, it would very often take you to the uh, booking.com page for the same hotel so you could actually work out very easily which hotel it actually was and you wouldn't be taking so much of a risk but the price that hotel tonight were offering was often massively reduced from what was available on booking.com now what i've noticed is that this they've changed their approach now uh, and they actually just tell you what the hotel is but the prices are still absolute knocked down and i guess maybe It was either that people didn't like that fact that the hotel was hidden away or the fact that they realized that people were playing the game that I've just told you about, copy and pasting, to find it. Now what they're doing, they have one more thing which sort of retains that air of mystery, which I absolutely love, is that on the page, there will still be a hidden hotel. And that hidden hotel is usually the absolute knockdown price. But in this instance, you click on the button and it will reveal the hotel and actually tell right. you what it, where it is. But you only then have 15 minutes <laughs> to actually book it or it disappears. Now, that, to me, was quite a nice halfway house between the way they did it in the past, and it still retains that sort of gamification thing or that air of mystery. So I a big thumbs up to Hotel Tonight for changing their model slightly, but retaining that element of fun as well. The second um, one is that, I don't know about you, Pascal, but when you arrive in 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 a city in the world... It's natural that we get drawn towards the tourist traps, isn't it? You know, I, I remember going to a conference in Dublin a while back and and I was told to meet everybody at the Temple Bar, which is one of the most famous um, bars in Dublin. And I got into, into a taxi at the hotel and asked the taxi driver to take me to the Temple Bar. And he almost shouted at me and told me to get out of his cab. He says, you don't want to be going to the Temple Bar. It's It's ridiculously expensive. It's just for tourists. I can tell you... So many more local bars, which you'll get a much better pint of Guinness, etc., etc., etc. And if you think about it, it's the same the world over, isn't it? You go to Prague, everybody goes to that beautiful square in the middle of Prague, and there's some great bars and restaurants, but they're so expensive. What you really need is somebody to tell you where the locals go, where the prices will be cheaper, and possibly the food and the drink will be a lot better. And there's this website and app called Like a Local guide.com and it does exactly that so if you typed in google uh, sorry if you typed in um, dublin or you typed in prague it wouldn't send you to the temple bar in dublin it wouldn't send you to the main square in prague it would send you a little bit off the beaten track where you can sample some real real local hospitality and i think do you know as business people, we may think we haven't got time to go exploring like that, but you know, we, we have the privilege, if we're traveling for our jobs, speaking in different cities, we have the privilege of actually being able to spend a little bit of time in those cities exploring them. Why wouldn't we want to f- suss out some of the real local places and give them a little bit of business rather than the very expensive and very, very busy and possibly slightly lower quality tourist traps
1: for me, the attraction is just what you mentioned, which is, it is uh, demanding to do what we do, and You're absolutely right. You know, I'm not saying it to the point of view where I'm people to feel sorry for me, but I will need some time to just disconnect and go somewhere quiet. And actually, this is the app that can do that for you, as opposed to going from a um, you know, noisy environment, kind of the hustle and bustle of a conference center, to then being in another noisy environment. We, you and I, need to recharge some time, particularly if we're there for several days. And that's what... I would seek out always.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. So again, some great apps this week, Pascal, SEO and travel. I'm going to have to think of a new trilogy now, moving on from travel. But uh, don't forget, everybody, speak pipe. Tell us what are the apps that you've discovered. And if you've discovered something really interesting that we haven't talked about on Two Geeks in the Marketing podcast, Or at least we haven't talked about for a while let us know we'd be delighted to take a look at them for you and to review them here on the show so pascal i think it's time to head back in time so let's fire up the flux capacitor set the controls of the tardis let's head back in
1: time to this week in history And in 1852, the first modern English thesaurus is published by English physician and philologist Peter Mark Rochert after spending several years writing a comprehensive list of English synonyms. In 1884,
0: the Post Office Committee of the U.S. House investigated sending mails by electricity, stating that such a method would be economical and might
1: speedily make the present volume of business seem infantile. In 1996, I know Yahoo begins advertising its search service on national television, featuring the tagline, Do You Yahoo?, the ads first aired during Late Night with David Letterman, Saturday Night Live, and Star Trek.
0: (laughs) In 2003, Apple launched the first iTunes music store in the US, featuring over 200,000 songs for music companies such as BMG, EMI, Sony Music Entertainment, Universal, and Warner. Now, Pascal, I'm just going to have to go back to that post office thing because I we had must. to reread. I had to reread the headline. It says 1884. You didn't mean 1984, did you? I did not. No, no. That's 1884. Exactly. Seriously.
1: I mean, <laughs> that has to be the convergence of science and, if you like, in know, society. Because so. What they looked at was that currently mail was distributed using rail tracks, which had superseded obviously horses, who probably superseded you know people walking uh, on foot. So they were looking for what is currently connecting people, cities, and the US, and of course it was the electricity poles and their cables. And, I mean, honestly, I
0: I I'm staggered that people were <laughs> thinking about effectively email. In 1884. I mean, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, when, when let's think about it. When when did email become quite, um, pre, you know, established? It was late 80s, wasn't it? Correct. In yeah, late yeah. 80s, early 90s was when all of a sudden we started sending emails to each other as opposed to typed memos. Crikey. Remember you had to send dictated memo and send it to the typing pool to get typed. Um, but I wouldn't have even thought that people were having this conversation 100 years earlier. That's just incredible. Just goes to show, doesn't it, how some of these ideas were rooted so much further back in the past that you, you it really
1: does open your eyes. That, that's the beauty and the reason why we and I chose to add this segment as part of the production of Two Geeks and a marketing podcast, because when you have a sense of history, the sense of direction you could also make some very safe predictions about what will be coming next i remember in the early 2000s having a conversation with somebody around the uk government looking at actually water supply Mm -hmm. to be used to send emails and i tried madonna to understand how on earth that would work and the gentleman even drew a, a diagram on the napkin during the conference and I said, but it's water. See, yeah, that, that doesn't matter. So long as um, houses are connected, which is what we need, then we can make it work. Yeah,
0: it's it's incredible. It's incredible. We owe, and we say this on the show every, every week almost, Pascal, but we owe such a debt to those people in the past who have given us what we have today and what we rely on today to live our lives, to run our businesses. It, it really is incredible. Now, as you know, I'm a massive music fan, uh, often, dropping, uh, often drop, dropping music references into stuff that we talk about here on the show. But again, coming up 20 years since Apple launched the first iTunes music store and, and effectively revolutionized how we listen to music. And, of course, today people are listening to Apple music on itunes they're they're listening to amazon music there's spotify which we've already mentioned today on the show but i just wonder you know in the same way as maybe netflix are losing a few subscribers are we seeing things turned around because i know that a lot of people who abandoned cds back in the past abandoned vinyl are now rediscovering these old formats like cds and um lps but i did wonder a lot of the music that i grew up absolutely in love with some of the albums from those groups are getting towards their 40th anniversary now albums like duke by genesis which was released in 1980 and um, jethro tull's broadsword and the beast around about the same time tears for fears albums and a lot of these albums are being re-released not only in digitally enhanced, remastered, remixed, whatever the words are, but they're often being released with absolutely gorgeous packaged extras. So, you know, booklets with photographs, maybe concert photographs, ticket stubs, tour programs, that sort of thing. And some of these packages that you can buy, which have got CDs in them, or even bigger with the LPs. These packages are absolutely gorgeous. And I'm sitting there thinking, do you know what? I want to have the 40th anniversary version of Broadsword and the Beast with all that stunning packaging. But I know that if I buy them, that package, I'll read the booklet, I'll luxuriate over all the photographs, and I'll read all the um, programs and all the technical notes. But you know what? I'll probably still listen to the music on spotify and to me that's the downside of all of these online music platforms is you don't get the physicality of the stuff the content that we used to get with lps and cds uh, and and maybe the only uh, way of doing it is as i've just described buy the actual physical box set re-release whatever it is Continue to listen to it on Spotify, but still be able to hold in your hand the goods.
1: I know that um, for for my part, I had to downsize quite a bit. So we sold LPs, we even sold cassettes, and we got quite a bit of money. Mm. We could not get rid of CDs. (laughs) I literally (laughs) gave them away to charity. So yeah. I think it's very telling about where the market is. And what is interesting about the LPs and the CDs, they went to young people. Mm. I mm. Denise and I actually believe that there would be people of our generation who had held those LPs in their hands 20, 30, 40 years ago. They would want to recapture that moment. But actually, there's that big, big resurgence, helped as well by online communities and, and websites. I've kept my Prince collection. <laughs> Be buying Prince LPs uh, as early as I can remember, and I occasionally go on, on this American website where you can scan the barcode um, or put in you know, the um, unique idea of, of the of the album, and I so happens to have the very first generation Purple Rain album, which people are, are offering thousands of dollars, and um, so and which you couldn't you know achieve that kind of. <laughs> Wealth of, of kind of value with a digital file. Um, mm. I mean, interestingly, me, I discovered in the process that Prince was actually one of the first artists to publish his work online via his own label and his own website. Wow, wow.
0: So, yeah, I, th- I think we both in a similar position i think we mm. you do sometimes miss the physicality of the stuff that used to come with music and, and i agree with you cd's perhaps didn't have as much although some of the cd releases that i'm seeing today you know they are coming in magnificent box sets and i mean you know real they come in almost like proper book packaging your hardback That's right, cover yeah it's there's some really beautiful content being put out there so once again lots happening back in history that has shaped what we do here in the present pascal shall we bring things back up to date now and do some creator shout outs
1: okay pascal who are you going to give a shout out to this week Oh, well, listen, I am delighted to introduce everyone who's listening and watching, and you, Roger to Liam Hefferman and Ian Pinnell, the founders of the Hospital Broadcasting Association Podcast Network. Now, this was introduced to me via a LinkedIn connection, Mark Asquith. Now, why would Mark Asquith be praising the work of Liam and Ian? Well, quite simply, because the podcast network was launched on the Uh Captivate.fm platform. But let's move on to the work that Liam and Ian have put together. They are obviously keen audio engineers and audio producers themselves and they've offered a free service to help people who are in the business of health and well being broadcasters, including this is why it's so important to me those who run community radios for hospitals because we know that there is a correlation between listening to audio and radio shows and the link between speedy recovery and promoting good health and well being. And as someone who spent in my younger days many, many Um, Long times in hospital, the fact you have a radio with you or a TV set makes all the difference, particularly the radio where it has that unique experience. So their mission is to support, inform, represent and develop the hospital health and well-being broadcasting sector, and they're doing so by providing a solution. Join the network, join the podcast network through Captivate and they'll be able to share your shows and your kind of uh, segments and so on across obviously all the podcasting network adding to the exposure. And what is interesting for me as well, Roger, very quickly, it's not just for people listening whilst they are in the hospital, actually listening when they go back home so they don't feel so isolated, and they have essentially that element of continuity with uh, the voice of the different DJs and shows. So currently, they have people at the York Hospital Radio and Radio Broccoli in line to be part of the network, and they're working with many others. So, uh, for me, Liam and Ian, you're doing an amazing job. Not only are you you know experts in what you do, but you find a way to take that passion to the degree of being of support to others, which are things to be commended. The Hospital Broadcasting Association podcast network
0: do you know you're you're giving me a shiver down my spine here Pascal I mean my father was a doctor and I I was exposed to hospital radio quite young and and it's an often overlooked source of really good content really good DJs really good music Um, and so it's really good that you've you've shouted this out because you know there's some incredible programming out there and some incredible and it and it doesn't see light of day so so thanks for that now remember last week pascal in my creator shout out i said that somebody pointed me to a piece of network netflix um documentation that says it's okay for producers to use mobile phones to create films and you know my argument was as we've been saying on this show for a long time you don't have to have a snazzy gigantic camera and lots and lots of equipment to create good content a mobile phone will do well this week i'm giving a shout out to robin allen uh robin runs a company called robin allen solutions she's a financial advisor i mentioned this earlier i was involved yesterday in an online event called protect x and right at the last minute one of the speakers had to pull out and you you've been there before it was an emergency and we had to call in some favors robin stepped in at the last minute recorded her video on her iphone in 4k she lit it beautifully the sound was crisp and perfect There was a pigeon in the background at one point, which she made a bit of a joke about in a LinkedIn post later, and that was quite funny. But the video she put together in one take, I hasten to add, seven minutes without any fluffs at all, ended up being the highlight of ProtectX. Everybody who watched the show yesterday thought that that was an absolutely outstanding piece of content. So I just wanted to shout out Robin A, for stepping in at the last minute and rescuing Protect X, but B, for proving absolutely, as if any more proof was necessary, that a mobile phone is absolutely spot on for creating that sort of content. As long as you get the lighting right and the sound and everything, those things go with it. But the quality was fantastic. So, Robin, thank you so much for stepping in at the
1: last minute and rescuing Protect X yesterday. And I will just give a a round of applause because... (laughs) <laughs> gonna know how actually you know he can be demanding to put together that one video so it's excellent but once again two fine selections for the creators shout outs
0: okay pascal i know you're absolutely salivating to get talking about our film today so shall we head into film marketing Well, Pascal, the original Top Gun film was nearly 40 years ago. Nearly 40 years ago. But the new version, Top Gun Maverick, is about to hit the cinemas. But we've been waiting three years from its original planned launch date. We'll get into all of those delays in a moment. But shall we luxuriate in the trailer?
1: Here we go. In three, two, one.
0: What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special.
1: Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there
0: is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us?
1: Captain Pete Maverick
0: Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine.
1: With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Then we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one.
0: We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen.
1: Not even him. You think up there you're dead? Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. Smoke in the air! Smoke in the air! You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Oh, I don't know about you, but that was another shiver down the spine, Pascal. I've watched this trailer so many times, (laughs) I'm almost picture perfect now. And do you know what's interesting is I didn't feel the need... And I'm not gonna say that the rest, I didn't feel the need for a sequel. <laughs> but when when it was announced, as we'll see in a moment, with a cheeky little teaser from Tom Cruise himself, 2018, I went, ooh, that could get interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's as we say, it's 40 years ago, isn't it, since the original one? And and I'm just trying to think, if you really were a jet fighter pilot like like Maverick is. Would you still be flying jets 40 years on from when you were flying them the first time? I mean, there's obviously a little bit of theatrical license going on here, but I would have thought that Maverick will have long since retired to some tropical islands somewhere.
1: <laughs> well, maybe that's what's happening. We don't know. We'll see in a moment. Uh, we um, don't know. have well be. been, been. This is a tight and controlled marketing campaign. So maybe yeah. that's what's happened. You know, Maverick was happily riding motorbikes and going fast in different types of vehicle. And he's been called back in to train, obviously, the younger pilot. But um, just very quickly, I remember going to the cinema in Bordeaux in France in 1986 to go and see uh, Top Gun. And what was interesting was we have um, um, what's called the cinema, the week of the cinema, la semaine cinema, where you go to the cinema in the morning, you pay your full fee, and then any other screening is only one pound. Uh-huh. So you, you just spend a whole day in the cinema. I hope they still do that. So we, we went to see Top Gun, I think it was our second and third movie, already getting a bit, you know, kind of uh, squared eyed and tired, but that was such a delight and for, for me as well it, i was the generation where we, we were looking for our action heroes i mean i grew up watching obviously my, mom, my dad we used to watch and i remained a big fan of Clint Eastwood and all the others but we needed someone that could take the um, the, the mantle, and certainly so Tom Cruise was doing that in Top Gun as much as Top Gun 1986 has its critics for all the reason people dislike the movie, it's the reason why I love the movie so much. And very, very quickly, what a um, coup and shadow for Tony Scott to have pulled this off as an indie filmmaker.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a bit cheesy, isn't it, Tom? And yeah, that's why we like it's it. A- it's an it's 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 the equivalent of a of an eighties MTV video. You've got shoulder pads. I think Kelly McGillis's hair was it might have might not have been permed, but it was certainly big hair, wasn't it? Um, fabulous um, aerial combat scenes, though. I mean, bit of humour, mm-hmm. lot of humour. Um, uh, you know it the, the cast was great as well and it's it's just one of those films that you can you can just smile about the song by berlin you know take my breath away mm. what an incredible title for the take my breath away because literally some of those flying sequences did take your breath away um so so yeah i mean it's not is it the best film of the 1980s no we we've reviewed more films here on two geeks which i would place higher in my list but it's just got that sort of cheesy 80s fun exciting combination which just means it's the sort of film you can pick up if you're feeling a little bit down you want a bit of a boost for all sorts of reasons you know stick top gun on and you'll be
1: smiling within Ten minutes, I would say. So, what they've done, interestingly. So, so the question that I suppose we can explore you and I is: how do you manage and deal with a three-year delay? You know, that, yeah. that to me, I mean, you know, there's so many movies we've talked about, Roger, where they've been delayed because of yeah. the pandemic. I mean, it's going to take years before we stop using that as almost a, a hook into into <laughs> our reviews. So, so that to me is is interesting. I love the idea of exploring how they kept it so tight and controlled. We're going to see in a moment that there's not a lot of material and has been revealed. But for me, it's also exploiting, you know, and use, leading onto your strength, the aircraft the training mm. that they went through that has been used a lot in a communication, and, of course, the nostalgia. So I'm assuming that if you were not around in the 80s, then you may have gone back to, actually, the 4K release that was only a few months ago of the original one because you want to understand the journey of the character because in this one, the Maverick has to be facing his own demons.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And But we come back to it time and time again, you know, You've described this as a very tight and controlled marketing campaign with no danger of message fatigue. But is that not just a, a different way of saying keeping it simple?
1: <laughs> I think that that could be true because I've been wondering about it. You know, I've so said we've been in situation before where we've looked at the campaign and said, come on, guys, you could have done better here. You know, that, that, that light imagination or you didn't really think it through. It feels to me that this is intentional. This is not a lack of resource or idea. This is, right, You know, we can't sustain audience goodwill for three years, and goodness, they have so many, as the others reviewed, like No Time to Die and Death on the Nile and so on. They've had so many false starts. It must have been so frustrating. And so what we have are three key elements we're gonna to review today, the video marketing strategy, the the posters, what they've done about it, and we're gonna highlight the social media because, in fact, on that very point, if you look at the Instagram account, for the last three years, give or take, there are are only 53 to 55 posts, which is frankly very, very low for a three-year campaign, but that's on purpose.
0: I, I wonder whether the nostalgia thing is incredibly important here, even for people like you and I who grew up with this film compared to people who who were weren't born who have gone back to to experience the first film i'm just trying to think is this maybe the longest gap between an original and a sequel you know i mean i'm thinking other films we've we've um, talked about on the show D- judge dread versus the more recent dread the second dread film wasn't a sequel to the first one so i don't really count that in the same breath all the other film franchises like the Bond films and, and things like that hasn't been that 40-year gap almost between the original and the sequel. I, I just can't think of another film franchise where the gap's been so big. So maybe that is why the nostalgia effect is so so big. And maybe that's what has given them the ability to keep it tight and controlled. Because th- that, that imagery from such a long time ago is still embedded in a lot of people's heads.
1: I would agree. And as I mentioned to you, as a fan, I didn't feel the the, the need for a sequel. I wasn't asking for it. I wasn't looking for it. I mean, there's been the occasional kind of fake news, literally, in, in the media. Um, and it wasn't really until 2017-18 that Tom Cruise, uh, during a TV chat show, said, yes, we're going ahead with what was called then Top Gun 2 Um, Uh because I think, I can't remember when we had the reveal of the title Maverick, but um, that that came much later. But we are talking about a film with aspiration to be released in the kind of summer-autumn of 2019.
0: Yeah, and and the first trailer, and we're talking about the video strategy here, the first trailer was July 2019. So the original delay wouldn't have been for the pandemic, would it?
1: No, it was some uh, music and still wanted to fine tune and, and get better um, essentially scenes with the with the aircrafts.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what did what was The, the original trailer was shown at San Diego Comic Con and it was a surprise like oh, yes. That must have gone down absolutely amazing. Can you imagine that? Um, but yeah, again, if you look at look on YouTube now, thirty seven million views. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's and 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 people still go back to it. I mean, actually, just because we're going to compare things, the very last trailer that we saw a moment ago, which was only released uh, four to five weeks ago now. Um, 20 million views, so it's just going to beat the, the, the record. So at the time, they, they, they did the, the reveal, which sometimes I'm so envious of our US friends where they can have shows like this. So they did the reveal, and the campaign online through Paramount Pictures in particular began with a reveal of the hashtag, which surprisingly yep. is Top Gun, not Top Gun Maverick, but there we are. And of course, the socials and Facebook, Twitter, and instagram so again not using too many channels as we sometimes can see and then fans are expecting this movie to be released and there's some uh, some announcements so in december 2019 back then we may have the, the early murmurs maybe what's happening in china but they're still looking for a release in 2020 we have essentially a mini documentary would you say Called yeah. um, real flying, real G forces, pure adrenaline. Which is doing two things: it's showcasing the new camera technology to be inside the mm-hmm. cockpit. I mean, my goodness, when people go and see this and the IMAX, it's going to be just something else. And go behind the scene of the prep and the um, the production.
0: Yeah, and of course we all know that Tom Cruise is renowned for doing his own stunts, isn't he? You know, he genuinely jumped out of that aeroplane in Mission Impossible. Um, Was he actually in these jets, or was it all um, CGI trickery?
1: Oh, oh my goodness, Roger, he's a qualified pilot. Ah, I knew it, I knew it. Do you know in the Mission Impossible Fallout, that's him flying the helicopter and taking oh. all the risks and so on. And he was being are. told of by the director because he kept smiling whilst flying the helicopter because it was meant to be <laughs> a scary scene. So have you ever seen the movie, um, oh my goodness, what is it called? A sci-fi movie where, you know, time repeats itself. Um, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's got many titles, hasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. End of tomorrow, uh, live, die, repeat, whatever it's called.
1: All those, yeah. So, well, he's the one flying the massive helicopter landing in London. So not, ah. so he actually was in- instrumental, as you'll see in the next documentary, in even training some of the actors to be better um, kind of co-pilots. So that was just um, incredible. But what he was showing is, is actually the G-force and the discomfort and what they went through. Then on the 2nd of February 2020, still hoping to have a summer 2020 release was the Super Bowl 32nd ad. You know, I've commented about the Super Bowl and the event that it is in the US, and we had a 32nd advert for um, a Maverick with a release date to be 26 June. And, well, we know what happened soon after.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, soon after that, August 2021, they obviously knew that there was going to be a delay by then, but they released the first 13 minutes of the film, that CinemaCon, can you imagine that, seeing the first 13 minutes and then maybe having to wait two years
1: more to see the rest of it? So we need to create our own UK CinemaCon because this is unacceptable that <laughs> our, all our US friends are having all the funds all of the time.
0: And they, they obviously managed to keep that under wraps. I bet they must have to have, to have searched everybody <laughs> after that screening and, and made sure nobody had filmed it or
1: managed ah. to copy it because none of it's got out there. I'd imagine that has to be the case completely. So... More delays than, I think, you know, like all production companies, they have to kind of roll with the punches. So to keep things going, they did a couple of other things. So, for example, in February 2022, which is, um, you know, this year, so we have a long-time period where, you know, not much is said apart from what's happening on social media, which we're going to review in a minute, but they had a partnership with Porsche, which is uh, the vehicle that is featured in the film, and they have a race between the aircraft used on the, the film and the car and people can decide who's going to win Maverick or the car. Oh, that's
0: that's almost the sort of thing that Clarkson would have done on Top Gear a long time ago, isn't it?
1: But, indeed, but, and actually, as a little uh, n- nod to Top Gear, Tom Cruise was indeed um, you know, one of the stars uh, driving a average-priced car.
0: Absolutely was as well, yeah, absolutely. Being chased by a jet down
1: the uh, <laughs> runway at, uh, at the Top Gear track, no doubt. <laughs> so on 29th then, of March, sorry to interrupt you, 29th right. of March, we had a trailer that we just saw a moment ago. So this is called the new Official trailer, which is what they have to do, because of course you can't just keep playing the same trailer over and over again. But again, uh, apart from some new images and maybe leaning more into the conflict between, obviously Maverick and you know the other characters, we just don't know enough about the story, which I think is so exciting.
0: Yeah, they've kept it well under wraps, and I think it's actually a genius thing uh to focus in on things like that the g-forces like you've said and and this this most recent video which has literally been in the last couple of days is called the most intense f- film training ever and uh, and the, the actual uh, thumbnail of Tom Cruise it looks like is being squashed flat by the g forces but that they're, they're playing it you know, they're not really revealing anything about the story they're just playing into the into the aircraft into the technology and and that's exciting but it's very clever as well because they're not giving anything away
1: no absolutely and and i think therefore is this idea of we've worked hard for you the audience the wait has been worth it and, you know, looking forward to seeing you on that big screen. You're right. I mean, the time of recording um, this episode, this most intense film training ever is barely four days old. And it's already getting mm-hmm. so, so many views. But that is it. I mean, in a three-year kind of uh, time span, this is the, you know, the content from the video marketing strategy. And they almost follow the same logic with the posters because um we had the the first reveal in line with, you know, all the other announcement of the initial poster, which I must say is so so good. So for people mm-hmm. listening as opposed to watching us as well we have a photo of what we believe to be Tom Cruise wearing a um, kind of flying jack with all sort of different kind of blazons and and stitched on um, marks looking into the sky for uh, an aircraft and this idea of well I'm on the ground now I'm not flying anymore others are doing <laughs> that and it's superbly lit with what must be um, a sunset type of imagery uh, I like it a lot I must say
0: yeah I I love the second one, the second okay. post, which was released December 2019. Again, you've got a picture of Tom Cruise on the ground, leaning against an old-style propeller aircraft, probably from World War II style, looking up at the sky. And of course, in the sky, there's a couple of jets flying over, leaving a vapor trail behind them. Blue sky, beautiful, beautiful poster. I could, I could well have that as my screensaver. It, it is a very nice movie. one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, on the twenty ninth of March, to coincide with the, the launch of the reveal of the neutral and so on, we have the late latest poster, and I must say, Roger, I don't like it as much as the others. We, we it's almost expected, you know. We have Tom Cruise fully kitted up, holding the the um, the helmet with the term, you know, his name Maverick. We've got the um, F eighteen behind him um, with that sunset sunrise kind of glow. But I don't know. I think it lacks, you know, the the appeal and the aesthetics of the others.
0: Doesn't have the the mystery. The others suggest, as you say, I'm on the ground. Somebody else is up there having fun, and that's not me. Whereas this is just saying, I'm back in the cockpit. I've got my kit on. I've got my um, bum on a aircraft seat. I'm shooting up there into the sky. It it sort of takes away that anticipation and it, it doesn't hint as much at the story i think that's possibly why
1: yeah because it, the, the first two this is the conflict about do i want to go back um because i think you know what we can understand particularly if you've seen the uh, the 1986 um you know a movie there's obviously a sense of loss there's a sense of guilt you've got all that that we're going to see the character dealing with and that's probably why in addition to to age, that it stopped uh, flying just very very quickly on on that very point about you know what happened in nineteen eighty six. So obviously Maverick is flying with Goose, you know, played by Anthony yeah. Edwards, and we have as part of the um, the conflict and, and the character development, we have um, you know the son who had mm. the um, um, kind of um, term the term where well, they used um, rooster. Uh-huh. And, the actor, Miles Taylor looks so much like Anthony Edwards. That's really yeah. quite a, a lovely bit of casting, isn't it?
0: Absolutely fantastic. So, so then we get into the social media. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, there's there's uh, Feel the Need is one of the strap lines that they're, they're using. And, and, and that goes
1: back for, to May 2018. Yeah, so Tom Cruise is on set. We think he's on set, and I just don't, with uh, Mission Impossible, we reviewed before, it just does yeah. one shot and usually keep, puts a little cryptic um, phrase. In this one was hashtag day one. So they were began, They began obviously, um, filming production in, in that one. So that was made 2018, which is therefore you can understand why they had aspiration to, for the movie to be released a, a, year, a year later. But in terms of social media, again, very, very controlled. So highlights would include, for example, in March 2020, the 27th, which is a date that many of us can remember forever, when (laughs) lockdown began globally, then the Top Gun official Twitter um, account released Zoom backgrounds, (laughs) offering fans around the world.
0: Genius, isn't it? I mean, I can't think, I'm sure there have been other Zoom backgrounds as part of marketing campaigns, but... This the At the time, the timing was just spot on. I mean, that is just utter genius. And they're quite good as
1: well. I wouldn't mind those. <laughs> well, the one where, do you know, in the trailers where we have Maverick flying upside down, as it's done in the first one, over the, yeah. the snowy mountains, this is the one you want to have. If you're lucky enough to have a leather jacket, you could really pull it off. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. And I love the way that they've tied into as well birthdays and events. Mm of some of the members of the cast. There was even a nice Top Gun tweet on Father's Day in 2020, you know, wishing all the dads a high-flying Father's Day from Top Gun. And, of course, the image there of the fighter screaming over the desert landscape is is a beautiful image.
1: Yeah, the other thing that the celebrated, which I wasn't aware of, Roger, that um, it's kind of a fan-made celebration, but 13th of May every year is Top Gun Day. So ah. I think um, we should adopt that and um, you and I should find a way to be watching <laughs> Top Gun or maybe do the both of them. And ah, they won't be out because that's only out on the 27th of May. But Top Gun Day is a thing yeah, by the fans and Tom Cruise himself tweeted about it and sent a picture of him, you know, how that worked on, on the movie, which I'm sure was the delight of many fans around the world.
0: And then they obviously started sharing uh, stuff on... TV shows, Graham Norton show, etc. Little snippets, exclusive coverage.
1: That's pretty standard film marketing, isn't it? Really, it is, uh, but sometimes overlooked. So. Uh, if you are a fan of the movie franchise, but also Tom Cruise, I highly recommend you see out the Graham Norton show from April 2021 on YouTube, because the interview um, is just stunning. Again, it, it can, you watch it, actually, and your heart goes out to Tom Cruise, who believes still in April 2021 that the release will be soon, not literally a year later. Um, but <laughs> wonderful stories it tells. And yes, one thing they did which I suspect they do across what they call territories is exclusive deals with a specific magazine or a specific radio station or broadcaster. And in this case, Total Film, a magazine that I used to buy all the time for decades. Eventually, I had too many copies in in the house. They had complete (laughs) access to to Maverick, the movie, and it's almost like a Tom Cruise top gun take over the magazine. Yeah. And
0: I would be interested to hear what people who are listening and watching to the show think of all of this. Has this really whetted your appetite, made you excited for Top Gun Maverick or is it just a too is it too tightly um controlled as Pascal says? Is it not revealed enough to to get you interested in going to see this film or, or is in is nostalgia enough? Uh, don't forget you can talk to us by using the speak pipe on the 2 geeks in a marketing podcast website and talking about websites pascal what do you think of the the top gun maverick website itself
1: so the Is official it a bit too, uh, the, too, too too simplistic yeah the official website topgunmovie.com uh, do you know it felt like um Almost someone's forgotten they had a website when you first go on it. (laughs) They they, they have just the bare essentials. I was thinking, where's the online experience? But then when you think about how they dealt with social media and the posters and video marketing and so on, maybe it makes sense to have also a website which is just enough, you know, and Mm. they've not gone for the kind of things you and I've seen in the past with a lot of um, audience participation, contributions, competitions. Uh, quizzes, you know, treasure hunts, and so on, but it does feel like someone just put the website to have the trailer, a very very short synopsis about the movie, and a cast list, and then that's that. And yeah. it's intriguing, isn't it?
0: Again, maybe it comes back to the fact that they're just thinking, you know, the, the, we're, we're really playing the nostalgia card here. Well, we're, we're we're hoping that the reputation of the first film, even though it's nearly forty years ago, and the passion that people have for that, who can remember watching it as children, combined with the excitement of people who've just discovered it for themselves more recently, is enough to promote this film. And and I hope that they're right, and they probably are, and it will be very interesting to see what the box office is like for this film when it hits the screens in May.
1: What is interesting for me is that this episode will be published on the 27th of um, April, four weeks of the day before the official release on the 27th of May. And, oh, by the way, you know, back to the um, CinemaCon, the lucky so-and-so who've got tickets are going to get a preview of the movie way before anyone in the world again, which I think is just such a tease. But four weeks still left for the campaign to run. I'm just intrigued, and, you know, we're going to keep track of it, seeing what are they going to do, or are they going to do actually just very little because they don't have to. I think
0: that we're going to probably have to come back and probably for the first time in Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast, maybe we'll have to review the marketing again for Top Maverick. Because as you said, we don't know what's going to happen in the next month. There may be a lot to come or they may carry on in the minimalistic way that they've gone so far so i'm excited i know you are excited i know this is one of the films you've been looking forward to so much and i suspect we could carry on talking about it for a little bit longer but we are Starting to run out of time, Pascal, so I'd like to draw this episode, episode 75, to a close. Thank you, everyone, so much for watching and listening. Don't forget to give us your feedback on Speedpipe, on Twitter, wherever you want to. LinkedIn is fine too. We'd love to hear you reviews, suggestions, comments, questions, whatever you might have. Until the next episode, remember, go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.